Welcome to Music History Monday for July 3rd, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Leos Janáček, Composer, Patriot, and Patriot Composer. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on July 3rd, 1854, 169 years ago today, of the Moravian, meaning Czech, composer, music theorist, folklorist, and teacher, Leos Janáček. Born in the village of Hukvaldi in what today is the Czech Republic, he died on August 12, 1928, in the city of Ostrava, today the capital of the Moravian Silesian region of the Czech Republic. It's all in the name. Dale Carnegie, 1888-1955, was an American writer and lecturer known for his self-help guides to self-improvement, salesmanship, corporate training, public speaking, and interpersonal skills. If he were alive today, he'd be on the speaking circuit doing TED Talks and perhaps making a fortune through a video self-help network. But given the comparatively limited technology of his day, Carnegie made his living writing books. Books with such titles as The Art of Public Speaking, first published in 1915, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, 1948, and The Quick and Easy Way to Effective Speaking, 1962. But Dale Carnegie's most famous and most influential tome, one that remains in print today after 87 years, is How to Win Friends and Influence People, first published in 1936. Among the thousands of assuredly useful tidbits Carnegie shared with his readers was, quote, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language, unquote. Meaning that nothing makes a better, more positive impression than saying someone's name when speaking to them. This seems to me to be self-evidently true. If you want someone to feel noticed, valued, and important, well, say their name to their face with a tone that connotes kindness, warmth, and respect. However, for the purposes of this post, we would, with all due respect, ever so slightly amend Dale Carnegie's maxim, quote, a person's name, correctly pronounced, is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language, unquote. As a public service, then, let us start this homage to Leos Janáček by learning how to pronounce his name correctly. 
This is not just an issue of politeness, because while the mature Leos Janáček might have looked like a snugly little teddy bear, he was in fact an often irascible, highly emotional man, someone who suffered insult easily and angered quickly. Let us not insult him and thus trigger that anger by mispronouncing his name. Janáček's name is notoriously mispronounced by non-Czechs. His first name, Leos, is easy enough, Leos. But his surname is a challenge for those of us who have trouble moving our vowels. We will learn to pronounce it in two steps. Step one, place an accent on the middle syllable, Janáček. Step two, place an accent as well on the first syllable, Janáček, and say it quickly, Janáček. Excellent. Brief biography. He was born 169 years ago today in the village of Hochwaldi in the Moravia Silesia, that is, the northeastern region of today's Czech Republic. At the time of his birth, Moravia was part of the Austrian Empire, and Janáček's hometown was known by its German name of Hochwald. Young Janáček had a first-rate singing voice. At 11, he received a scholarship to attend the Queen's Monastery and School in the city of Brno, B-R-N-O, pronounced Brno, the largest city in Moravia. The Queen's Monastery and School had a first-rate music conservatory. Janáček studied singing, organ, and piano, and he did well. After graduating at the age of 15, he attended the Royal Teachers Training Institute for three years, after which he was appointed deputy choirmaster for the city of Brno. He began composing at around the age of 21. His first compositions were simple, folk-influenced choral works for the various amateur choral societies he conducted. Feeling he still had more to learn, Janáček attended the Prague Organ School, another first-rate conservatory of music, in 1874 and 1875, after which he returned to Brno and his job as choirmaster. In 1879, at the age of 25, Janáček decided he still didn't know enough about music. And this is where things get interesting. Believing that what he required was some German educational fit and finish, to say nothing for spit and polish, he applied to and was admitted to the Leipzig Conservatory. Founded by none other than Felix Mendelssohn in 1843, the Leipzig Conservatory was considered one of the finest schools of music in the German-speaking world. Well, Janáček lasted there for just four and one-half months, from October 1879 to February 1880. He hated his classes and dropped most of them within just a few weeks. He claimed his teachers were old and pedantic, 
but mostly what he despised was the Germanness of Leipzig and the conservatory and what he perceived as the same intolerable arrogance of the Germans and Austrians who had ruled his Czech homeland for hundreds of years. So he just walked away. Even a biographer as sympathetic as his fellow Czech Yaroslav Vogel can only write that, quote, Janáček's behavior in this matter was rash and inconsistent. Here was a village schoolmaster's son from remote Hukvaldi condemning out of hand one of the world's most renowned conservatoires, unquote. Unfazed, Janáček headed to Vienna, where he went and did the same thing all over again. Yeah, check it out. On the strength of a series of entrance exams, the still 25-year-old Janáček was admitted to the Vienna Conservatory, again, one of the best schools of music in the world, on April 1st, 1880. This time, he lasted only two months. Twisted into an absolute tizzy when he failed to receive a prize in composition and convinced that there was a conspiracy to embarrass and discredit a Czech composer, meaning himself, he left Vienna in a huff, or perhaps as Groucho Marx would say, in two huffs, in early June, and stomped back to Brno. There's no doubt about it. Even as a young man, Janáček had a chip on his shoulder the size of an old-growth redwood. For the record, there is no evidence that he was treated disrespectfully because of his nationality in either Leipzig or Vienna. Rather, it was Janáček's own insecurity and his growing anti-German, anti-Austrian prejudices that did him in. Back home in Brno, the now 26-year-old Leos Janáček married a woman named Zdenka Schulzova. Zdenka was of German descent, and during their courtship, she and Janáček spoke German. But once they were married, Janáček insisted they speak only Czech, a language Zdenka's parents felt was, quote, fit only for servants, unquote. By the time of his marriage in 1880, Janáček's Czech nationalism and his concurrent hatred of things Austrian and German had erupted like a ripe carbuncle in the middle of his forehead. His new father-in-law referred to, quote, his national fanaticism bordering almost on insanity, unquote. Janáček outright refused to attend the German-language theaters and concert halls that dominated Brno's cultural life, and he even refused to ride on the city trams until Czechs were finally in the majority on the Brno town council. Leos Janáček's German-Austrian hostility explained. Extreme though it might seem to us, Janáček's hostility towards things and people German and Austrian was typical for the Czech population of his time. 
You see, things had gone really sour between the Czechs and Austrians way back in 1618, when Austria revoked religious freedom in the Czech province of Bohemia. Members of the Bohemian Diet revolted, making them, as I can never resist pointing out, a revolting diet, and they expressed their displeasure on May 23, 1618, by throwing two imperial Austrian Habsburg regents and their secretary out of a third-story window of the Hradzen Castle in Prague. This so-called defenestration of Prague precipitated the Thirty Years' War, which eventually involved most of Europe. Having tossed those Austrian bums out of the window, the Bohemians declared the Austrian Habsburg Emperor deposed and elected in his place Frederick, the so-called Winter King, as King of Bohemia. Sadly for the Bohemians, it was a case of the mouse that roared, and winter, spring, summer, or fall, Frederick couldn't lead at all and he and his Czech army were crushed by the Austrians at the Battle of White Mountain in 1620. The victorious Austrians decided to make an example of the Czechs. The Austrians introduced what was called forcible Germanization, the introduction of German as the sole official language in Czech lands, oppressive taxation, and absentee land ownership, which collectively reduced the great majority of Czechs to poverty and misery. For the next 200 years, the Czech language, and with it, Czech language poetry, literature, and high culture, was eradicated from schools, from newspapers, from the courts, and from government administration. Czech language books were burned. Over time, the Czech language was reduced to a means of communication between the illiterati, which is why Janáček's in-laws believed the Czech language was suited only for servants. The Czech national revival that began in the early 19th century was, initially, about the revival of the Czech language. It was a grassroots rebirth and the Austrian Habsburgs, weakened significantly by their disastrous encounters with Napoleon's France, were powerless to stop it. A revival of Czech literature, poetry, and scientific terminology followed. Starting in the 1860s, Czech folklore, folk music, and folk traditions, which had survived in the countryside away from the Germanized urban centers, were being explored and embraced by certain Czech artists in search of national authenticity and inspiration. One of those artists was Leos Janáček. As he matured as a composer, the importance of the Czech language itself became for him the decisive influence on his maturing music. From his study of folk song, Janáček came to believe that national character, as reflected in folk melody, was nothing less than a manifestation of a nation's spoken language. In order to capture what he considered the musical essence 
of the Czech language, he developed a system of what he called speech melody. He would jot down little melodic ideas based on the cadence of the spoken Czech word. In doing so, his melodic language became a direct outgrowth of his Czech language. And as such, Janáček's mature music is intrinsically Czech, a gift to both his nation and the world, and yes, a gift even to Austrians and Germans. In tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post, we'll explore the Czech language-inspired music of Janáček with an examination of his two masterful string quartets. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.